Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and I'm your host, Sheila McCann. Today we're going to cover a bread that has been very controversial at House of Bread. And in business, you want to avoid controversy. So we don't do politics. And somehow this bread I discovered, uh, I mean, we're talking like 25 years ago. Nobody was offended by the name back then, by the way. But in the last decade, it's been kind of intense. So we changed the name from S-Q-U-A-W to Prairie. And people seem to be fine with Prairie. The bread that I first tasted it was at a restaurant. And it was a dark, sweet loaf. And I'm like, this is really good. I asked about it, and then they told me the bakery they got it from. This was in Santa Barbara, and I think it was the Chart House. Uh, Anyway, so the long story short is that I went to the bakery, got a label, came back to my bakery, and so I knew what the ingredients were, and I just kind of played around with it. And the one I had had raisins in it, and I I didn't want raisins. (laughs) So I substituted sesame seeds. And the reason being is... Sesame seeds, it has a little bit of a crunchiness to it. I think it adds the complexity. And there's not people that hate sesame seeds, where there's people that just absolutely hate raisins for whatever reason, and they don't want to pick it out. (laughs) I decided let's just avoid the raisin controversy and let's just do sesame seeds. So the traditional bread is made with a combination of flours. It's rye flour, a whole wheat flour, and white flour. This recipe, I use quite a bit of honey. So it's sort of a sweet sandwich loaf, but it's not like super sweet. We started making it like once a week and then went to twice a week. And now it is one of our number one selling breads. And it's also unique. I mean, it's hard to find this one in the grocery store. And I can tell you, you're going to find it under a different name (laughs) because everything's changed now. So If you want to find it at House of Bread, look for Prairie. And in all recipes, you have to add the nuts and seeds at the very end. I went, this is in my, this recipe is in my um, recipe book. It's under the, the old name, by the way, the one that was controversial. Anyway, and I went and reviewed it and I just standard language in there. I put that any nuts, raisins, seeds, whatever, always get and added at the end of the mix after you get to your good dough stage. And I can tell you with the sesame seeds, it doesn't really matter. Okay, so caraway seeds, sesame seeds, poppy seeds, those little tiny seeds, it's not going to cut into the gluten development. I mean, maybe you put a boatload in there, but really it's not that big of a deal. So you can kind of just throw that in there with the flour. If you are doing raisins nuts, those are bigger and can cut into your gluten development. And if you think of gluten like that corkscrew, so those hard things cut into it. And the same thing with the bran. The bran is the outer layer of whether it be wheat, rye, spelt, whatever grain you're working with. And the wheat germ, those hard things can cut into your gluten development. And what happens then? You get a short squatty loaf. And nobody wants a short squatty loaf for making sandwiches. And that's what we use this bread for. So I'm gonna give you the, uh, the recipe and then I'm gonna give you some suggestions. So it's two and a half cups of warm water. 
That's just approximately 100 degrees. Just turn the temperature on a tap water and let it get to the point where it would be nice water like to wash your face. And then it's two packages of active dry yeast or two tablespoons, three quarters cup of honey, three cups of whole wheat flour. If you've got whole wheat flour, I would prefer it be stone ground and also high protein. So you want to look for bread flour that is freshly milled. High protein is very much preferred. That is a lot easier to get to the good dough stage. And your whole wheat flours can be designed for pastries or for breads. So when you're making sandwich breads in particular, you always want to use bread flour and then a cup of rye flour. And I prefer the dark rye. So the lighter rye is more of like white flour. It's the middle of the rye berry. A medium rye, it contains some of the outer layer, but a dark rye contains it all. And then two tablespoons of caramel color. And caramel color is just what it is. It's burnt caramel. It's a color additive. There is no flavor involved with it. It just gives it a traditional dark look of the loaf. And that's the other reason I wanted to use sesame seeds because it's kind of a contrast in colors, the dark and the light. And if you want to adjust some of this recipe, you can, but traditionally the prairie bread has three types of flours, rye flour, whole wheat flour, white flour, all bread flour, um, and it's a four cup combination. So anytime you have equal amounts whole wheat flour or more so, you have to do what's called the sponge method. And that's the recipe I just gave you. So that's what you're putting into your sponge your flours, your honey, the bulk of your yeast, all your water, and your two tablespoons of caramel color. And like I said, if you wanna leave out the caramel color, go ahead. I can tell you though that we ran out of caramel color and I thought, okay, well, not a big deal. I'll just make it without it. And lo and behold, people thought that I was trying to trick them or something. <laughs> like that was not the bread that they wanted just because the color was different even though there's absolutely no taste difference. So for a traditionalist out there, add the caramel color. For people who don't care about the color of their bread, then you don't have to add the caramel color. But you keep in mind it is two tablespoons of, of liquid. Two tablespoons of liquid is not much when you're talking about two and a half cups of, of warm water. But you might wanna throw in another two tablespoons of the water in the mix just to make up for that caramel color. So what you wanna do when you start any recipes, make sure you got good yeast. That involves testing the yeast. Um, we don't do it at the bakery and I don't do it at home. Uh, but if you use those packets, occasionally you'll get a bad one and that would not be a good day after all the hard work of kneading. So you start your sponge and then about an hour and a half later, it could be as little as an hour, it could be two hours later, uh, maybe two and a half. And so I just finished training some franchisees from Alaska. And it was interesting because I got repeated questions about how long does that prove? How long does this one? And then we were, and they were, you know, good bakers. They picked it up pretty quick. They didn't have too much prior baking experience. But anyway, the, the gist was, is that uh, they couldn't remember what time they did the sponge. So you should have a bread schedule, but it's always modified. I said, all right, let's just go look at it. So if you don't remember when you made your sponge, 
I mean, granted at home, you're only doing one batch, right? So just try to jot down the time because <laughs> it gives you parameters. Um, and your bulk fermentation happens in that sponge stage. And so when in doubt, go in an hour and a half. But after an hour and you've got a nice humid environment and it's pretty warm out, just look at your bowl. Does it look like a sponge? So move it around if it's real movey, it, you know, if it moves real easily, and um, then your sponge is ready for the second step. If you think that it's going to take longer, let it go longer. And I will tell you that in commercially, we've got like six mixes going on at once. Um, if they get behind and backed up, so I train all my bakers to leave it in the sponge stage. Ideally, you know, it proves an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever. But let's say you get really backed up. You don't want to add the second step and do your kneading because then it really will overproof. So it's much better to have your sponge recipes overproof in the sponge stage rather than the second step. Um, and the reason why is because part of the kneading process, you're kind of deflating the, the carbon dioxide that was that's in within the dough. And so then you kind of start again. After an hour and a half or so later, you're gonna add in your second ingredients. And so your second round of ingredients is a package of the active dry yeast or a tablespoon. And then you're going to go with the three cups of white flour, one tablespoon of salt, and a quarter cup of sesame seeds. And you just add it all together. I recommend getting a feel for the dough while it's in the bowl. Because if you put it out on the table, that would be my golden retriever who apparently doesn't like the wind blowing something outside. Take your hand, put it in your mixing bowl. I want you to feel it. Okay, so it's not enough to look at it, feel it. And if it's super sticky, like you can't barely move around, then add a little flour. And then make that sure that gets incorporated. So you want to get your dough. You're not kneading it while your hand's in the bowl, but you want to get your dough so it you can take it out of the bowl and put it on a slightly floured surface so you can begin kneading. But I want to get it close to the temperature, or excuse me, I want to get it close to the moisture content I'm looking for. So the two things I look for in your yeasted breads, moisture content, if it has been sufficiently kneaded to have a good gluten strand, which is your good dough stage. The moisture content is why you're putting your hand in the bowl before you put it on the table. And then once you start kneading, you still might have to add a little bit more flour. Uh, you don't want to have to add water. It's very hard to add water on the table. So that's why you want to start with a dough that is sticky and just add a little bit of flour on the table. And then you just begin your kneading. And you're kneading, you're picking it up, you're pushing with your palms, quarter turn, pick it up, push it with your palms. It's not a fingertip type exercise. Now you're going to go into your second rising and your second rising takes place in the baking pan. This recipe here is going to make two of your standard sandwich loaves, approximately like a nine by five by three inch pan. Um, so you just spray that or use some type of nonstick spray, put your loaves in there that are shaped and let it rise again. I don't know exactly the size of your pans, but if it's your standard loaf size, you want the dough to get above the pan. And so there is an oven spring that happens. So if you think of it this way, your, your oven spring, it really depends upon the type of recipe, 
your squat bread, it's got quite a bit of white flour and it's got honey and whatever else. So it will spring up pretty good. Then what you want to do is take a look at it maybe 10 minutes later and see if it's proofed enough. It should be whole. How we kind of tell in the bakery is the size of it above the pan. So it has to be at least an inch over the baking pan. Two, if your dough starts tearing on top, that means it is starting to get to the overproof stage and it just needs to go into the oven. So we bake our breads at 350 degrees and this one takes about 45 minutes to bake. Uh, some ovens, it'll take 50 minutes, 55. So I want you to start with 40. Take the temperature in the middle of the inside of the loaf and it should go past 180. About 185 is kind of ideal. Um, you can also, if you don't have a temperature thing, don't worry about it. Just feel the bottom of the loaf. Can you tap it? Does it feel firm? Is there like a sound that's kind of hollow sounding? And then you want to put your loaves on a wire rack to cool for about an hour before you slice it. Um, if you, I mean, you don't have to, but if you slice warm bread right out of the oven, it kind of, um, the condensation from the heat makes it kind of turn doughy. So like I said, you don't have to, you can go ahead and tear off a piece and put some butter on it and enjoy your prairie bread. And this bread is the one that has a, a mild, sweet, crunchy taste to it that I really like recommending it for sandwiches. So when I'm working retail and they ask me what type of bread uh, for majority of sandwiches, I will recommend the prairie or I'll recommend garden herb. Garden herb is a white based bread. And that one has a little more savoriness to it, garlic, onions, chives, whatnot. But the prairie bread will go good with any sandwich. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for listening. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and I'm happy to say that this one is getting some traction. And so if you have other bakers that you think would enjoy learning a little bit about the process at House of Bread, please refer them. I appreciate the referrals and I appreciate your time and listening. Happy baking, everybody.